Well, faithful forevermore he will be. Hallelujah. The thing with our faithfulness, it kind of goes up and down, you know. Some days we feel good and we feel like praising God. Other days we're like, eh. But you know what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Well, thank you, Toph. Happy Thanksgiving weekend! Woohoo! I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I have already overindulged and the weekend is not over. I plan to do a little bit more of that, being thankful with my belly. <laughs> you know, how did, it, how did holidays become like this? They had one focus and we've made them all about food. You know, I think it's just human nature. We just love to eat. I think it's even worse with Christians. We just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. <laughs> But it's Thanksgiving, and I wish you guys all the best wherever you may be heading the rest of your weekend. Have a wonderful time. You know, I was thinking about what are we going to preach about this morning, and I can go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. It's not thankfulness, you know. <laughs> that would be too predictable, and I try not to be too predictable. But I was thinking about it. You know, we, earlier in the summer, we started a series on faith. And during that series, we were talking about the prophet Elijah, and we talked about half of his story, and so this morning, I want to finish the other end of his story. So we're, in order to do that, let's go back and rehash where we were. Second, 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1 says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, we don't know anything about Elijah before this. He just kind of shows up, and he shows up in the presence of the king. We don't know if he's been a prophet for a short time or for a long time. We're not even really sure where Tishbe is in Gilead. It doesn't exist anymore. It didn't exist much long after this. So he's kind of like the, the, the faceless prophet that just shows up out of nowhere. And he shows up in the presence of the king, and Ahab is not a good king. He has converted all the synagogues and the temples of, uh, and places of worship in Israel to prophet Baal, so that the, he's trying to convert the whole nation over. He's got a very wicked wife named Jezebel, who's very zealous for the things of, uh, of Baal. And so Elijah shows up on, in the presence of Ahab and he says, because of the whole direction of everything that's going on in this nation, there will be no dew, there'll be no rain until I say so. Now, we know that the king didn't really believe Elijah much because there's no rebuttal. The king didn't say, ha, 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 Elijah, nice one, good try. You don't control the weather. Or, ha, ha, it's okay, my gods are stronger. They'll just command it to come back. He just obviously was like, who is this crazy person? There's no rebuttal. But... What Elijah said happens. Now, what happens when there's no rain? Nothing grows. Nothing grows, there is no food. And so quickly, the crunch become, begins to come down on the people of the nation, and they're like, we are starving, somebody better do something about it. And so the king's response to that is, well, let's first find the guy who started it and kill him. You know, he's now the public enemy number one in the nation. Wherever he goes, everybody knows he's the one who caused this. It's his fault. Really, it was their fault for turning away from God. But he was the one getting the blame. And so God sends him to a brook, the brook Cherith, and says that he's going to have the, the ravens bring him food. When was the last time a bird delivered your supper? Now, I know a few of you like to shoot them out of the air and make them your supper, but... When was the last time one dropped a steak on your plate? 
or brought you a good kale salad. Better throw both ends of the spectrum in there. <laughs> Actually, yesterday, one of Robin's aunts brought a, a quinoa salad, and she was like, come on, somebody has to try my quinoa salad. And everybody was like, no, no, no. And finally, I was like, fine, I will try your quinoa salad, and I don't like quinoa. But maybe he was dropping off healthy food for Elijah. We don't know. But God sustains Elijah in a time of drought by using supernatural means. When you are looking around you and everything of your life is speaking lack and drought and not enough, God can sustain you through supernatural means. He is not limited to the economy you work in. This country or any country of this world, God does not need them to show himself strong. So think about that when you're trying to think about what am I going to do? We're all going under. If you got God, you're still fine. So Elijah was obedient and he went to the brook Cherith and there he ate for a, a year, maybe two. It doesn't really give us a time frame. But it says in verse 7, but after a while the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And so here, his source of provision that's been sustaining him for a season begins to change. You know, it's very easy for us to anchor ourselves to our sources of income. Elijah had gotten used to the way God was doing it. And now things are beginning to, to change. Maybe when Elijah got there, the, the brook was this big. And then maybe it's now down to this big. And then one day he came up, got up from bed and there's no more brook. And he's thinking, God, if he's like us, why have you forsaken me? Why have you stopped providing for me? You know, I've, I've been in that position where I've said, God, what's your problem? <laughs> and realized you got to be going, Jordan, what's your problem? <laughs> Listen to God. He gave you one solution, he'll give you another. And so Elijah goes back to God and he tells him, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Wonderful. Some old widow, after two years of famine, has still got food left. That's wonderful. I'll go and eat with her. Well, Elijah gets there, and the widow's got no food. Above that, she's only got a little bit that she's going to feed herself and her son, and they're going to give up and die. And at this point, Elijah could have said, Hey, God, I thought you instructed her to feed me. But instead, Elijah says, hey, I know you're pretty set on wanting to uh, make this little cake, to eat it and die. Go ahead and make the cake and give a little bit to me first. And she's obedient. And he says to her, your flour jar and your oil jar will not run out. Talk about supernatural means. There's no grain being grown. It's not like she's going down to the market to buy more. There's no olive trees producing more olives to make some more olive oil. They all dried up and died in the drought. God is not limited by what's going on around you. He gives him source number two. But what did it take? It took the widow's obedience. She went, she made a cake, she gave some to Elijah, and then she ate some, and it says that her flour never ran out. Her oil never ran out until... The famine was over. Why? Because if one source runs out, God will give you another. And if that source isn't good enough, he'll give you another. 
And you would think, okay, now we've smoothed out the bumps. The, the widow's here to provide. Doesn't get any better from there. Then the widow's son dies. And she turns on Elijah and says, why have you come here to kill me and my family? And Elijah says, hey, hold on, lady. It's okay. And he goes and raises her son from the dead. And then she says, surely you serve the God of Israel. Surely now? The flour and the oil wasn't enough? You think of how foolish we can be sometimes. And we're like, now I'll praise you. God, if I see it like this, and we're forgetting the little things that he does for us on a day-to-day -day basis. So, this sustains Elijah for about three years. And that's where we're going to pick up in the story, right here in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him, I will soon send rain. One, that's exactly what Elijah is, or Ahab is wanting. He wants to get a hold of Elijah so he can kill him. And two, he wants it to rain. So this is a good message and a good situation for Ahab. And so in verse 2 it says, So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. And Obadiah was a devout follower of the Lord. So here, in a very situation where Jezebel is trying to kill all the, all the people who serve God, God has placed someone in leadership in the palace who serves God. Talk about a rough situation for Obadiah, though. Being surrounded by those who want to kill you every day. But God will often take you and insert you into a situation that doesn't look ideal so that he can use you to be a blessing. And so Obadiah is the ruler of the palace for the king. And it says, once when Jezebel had tried to kill all of the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden 100. Everybody say 100. He hid them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in one each cave, and he supplied them with food and water. And so Ahab and Obadiah are out on their horses. They're looking for water and grass to be able to feed them so they won't die. And in verse 7, here's where it picks up. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming towards him. Obadiah recognized him at once, and he bowed down to the ground before him. He says, is it really you, my lord Elijah? He asked, and he says, yes, it is. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. And you would think Obadiah would be like, great, let's go get my master. But that's not where the story goes. He says, oh, sir, Obadiah protested. What harm have I ever done to you that you're sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? It's not the reaction Elijah was probably expecting. He was probably thinking Obadiah is going to be like, hey, yeah, sure, let me take you to the king. Instead, Obadiah is like, do you want me to die? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched in every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told, Elijah isn't here, King Ahab forced the king on that nation to swear to the truth of this claim. And now you say, go and tell your master that Elijah is here? So there's been a very vicious search going on in every region around them trying to find public enemy number one. 
But as soon as I leave you, this is what Obadiah says, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. And when Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. And yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. And so it gives you a picture to what's been going on. When Elijah is found, God just goes, no, you didn't, and moves him. And when you think you've been backed into a corner, that's okay. God will just move you. There's things that he can do on your behalf that you can't do for you. You know, I love the story that Billy Brim once told that during the, during the Soviet Union, there was a minister in northern Siberia, and he didn't have a vehicle, but he was following God's command to go and uh, preach in all these different regions. And whenever God wanted him to minister in a, in, with a uh, home group, he would just take him and move him there. And so Billy Brim heard about this and was like, oh, that's so amazing. And then the Soviet wall, the, the Iron Curtain fell down, and they decided they had the great idea, let's buy him a car so that he can drive to all these places. And as soon as they gave him the car, God stopped supernaturally moving him around. And then she thought about it, and she's like, I should have just let God be God. Now he's got a means of transportation, but God's way was much quicker. It's not like you have to wait in traffic or drive 100 kilometers. You know, God always has ways of doing things that are beyond your understanding. Don't limit him. So, that's what's been happening to Elijah. King shows up, king's men shows up, Elijah's found somewhere else. And so, Elobadiah says this, Has no one told you, my lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? And I hid a hundred of them? in two caves, and supplied them with food and water. So Obadiah's like, I've been a good man, Elijah. Change your plan. But Elijah says, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. I'm not getting taken away. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. And then here we have the great showdown of the prophets. And you've always heard this part of the story before, but it goes a little bit like this. Elijah challenges 450 prophets of Baal to a showdown. He says, we're going to make two altars, one for me, one for you. You call down fire to consume your altar, and if you don't work it, I'll call down fire and consume mine. And I'll get it even better. Let's dig a big trench around my altar, and let's fill it all the way up with the water. you got to remember, water is in short supply, three years in a drought. So he's taking one of their most precious resources and spilling it into the ground. And they fill up this moat around. And the 450 prophets of Baal, they start shouting to Baal. And they start cutting themselves trying to get him to move. And Elijah stands back and says, oh, maybe your God's on a trip. Maybe he's gone off somewhere. Maybe he's in the bathroom. And he's mocking them. And they, don't, they can't get their God, Baal, to rain fire down from heaven. And finally it comes Elijah's turn, and he just says, God, do your thing. And God consumes the whole altar with fire, sucks up all the water out of the moat, and then all the people that are going watching going, kill them. <laughs> we have been under their thumb, and under them telling us that Baal was the true God, and here you just proved he's dead. He ain't around. He's not listening. Let's kill them. So Elijah and the people kill 450 prophets of Baal in a big showdown, and you think that's where the story ends. But then, after the slaughter, Elijah turns to Ahab and says, 
Go and get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Now I want to preach a message to you this morning about that very thing. There is a rain of blessing coming for your life. Elijah says to Ahab, go and get ready for it. I hear it. Now, what does he hear? You look around, they're still in the middle of a three-year drought. Not a single cloud in the sky. It's beating down heat on them like nobody's business. It's not about to rain. But Elijah wasn't listening with these ears. He wasn't looking with these eyes. He was listening with the eyes and the ears of the heart. And he said to Ahab, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab was not about to dispute Elijah. Elijah just killed the 450 best prophets he had. And so he went up to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed onto the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed down low to the ground with his face between his knees. And you got to think, this is what he's thinking. God, you better show up. <laughs> he's got his face between his knees. He's saying, this has got to be done, God. You know, we get a little picture into this in James. James says, Elijah was human as we are. There was nothing special about Elijah. James is wanting to let you know he's just like you. And yet, when he prayed earnestly, or prayed from his heart, that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crop. Well, that verse really is the cliff notes of the story. Elijah prayed, rain showed up. But you ought to know in life, it's never that clean. You ever notice? You thinking that, you know, dun da 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 the heavens will part, my blessings will come, Jesus is good. But you know, it's never quite that clean, is it? You know, there's always seems to be steps of obedience and things you have to hold on to with faith. So though James looks back at it with a good lens, here Elijah is on the mountain with his head between his knees. Oh God, send the rain. And then he said to his servant, so he's been doing some praying, and he goes, says, go out towards the sea. And so the servant went and looked, and when he returned to Elijah, he says, I didn't see anything. <laughs> How many times have you been believing God for something, and then you look around and you don't see anything, and go, God, I thought you were going to take care of me. I thought you were going to supply my needs. Elijah could have, but no, he stuck his head back between those knees. <laughs> I thank you, God, it's going to rain. Sent the servant again. Servant gets out there. Sorry, Elijah. Didn't see anything. But God, I thought you were going to heal my body. Go again. Sorry, Elijah. I ain't seen nothing. Thought you were going to get me a new job, God. Sorry. Didn't see nothing. Seven times he sent him back. When you didn't see it the first time, go look again. God always comes through. His promises remain sure forever and ever and ever. He is faithful. So if you feel like giving up, go look again. So Elijah sends him a seventh time. And finally, on the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud. He's getting tired of having to walk back out to the sea. I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. 
but I thought we wanted the heavens to part and the torrential downpour to come. You know, sometimes things start small. And if you're willing to go with the small, God increases and he increases and he increases. Believe him for what you need now. And he'll be true. So the servant comes back and says, I saw about the size of a man's hand. Not sure if it's just my eyes starting to fog over from all the climbing up and down, going to check the sea. But Elijah says, hurry to Ahab. Meaning you just climbed back up this mountain, but I'm sending you right back down. And tell him, climb onto your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Now, think about this. Servant and Elijah are up on the mountain. There's a different perspective on the mountain than there is down in the valley. Ahab couldn't see what's going on. He didn't know there was a cloud about the size of a man's hand. For all he was thinking, Elijah just saw the biggest storm ever to hit that country heading his way. You know, your perspective is important. Now, I've got a message in the works that we're going to have to come this fall, maybe winter, about the power of perspective. But how you look at things matter. Where you look at them from matter. So Elijah saw it on the mountain, and he sent word to the valley, get in the chariot, get a moving back home, or the rain's going to stop you from getting there. Why? When things dry out, they become dusty, they become hard, and then when the rain hits it, you get mud. <laughs> Ain't no chariot going to be going through that mud. And, as soon as, and soon the sky was black with clouds. So it started with those cloud about the size of a man's hand, but soon... The whole situation changed, and there was black clouds, and it says a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. It's amazing how fast your situation can change when you hold on to God. It may have looked bleak one day, but the next second, oh my goodness, your blessings are true forevermore. And then the Lord gave Elijah special strength. And he tucked his coat into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. So you got to see Ahab's out there whipping his horses on that chariot, going as fast as he can, trying to beat the clouds. And here comes Elijah. Hey, Ahab, how's it going? Shoo! Usain Bolt's got nothing on Elijah. And he beats him all the way to the palace in Jezreel. And when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So she sends out a, a stern message to Elijah. And Elijah was afraid and fled. So I got to ask you a question. What happened to super speed Elijah? What happened to Elijah that just faced the prophet battle? 
What happened to Elijah that God would supernaturally move around? What happened to the Elijah that God would send the ravens to feed? What happened to Elijah who commanded the pots to never run out? What happened to the Elijah who raised the widow's son from the dead? Your fears and your perspectives can hold you back and change your entire situation. Elijah just went from mighty victory to mighty victory to running super fast to having the rains pour down on a nation that hasn't seen rain in three and a half years to running for his life. Got to ask you a question. Did God change? Do you think God would be just as willing to move him when they found him? Do you not think God would be just as willing to protect him as he did on the mountain with the other prophets? But do you notice Elijah never stopped to talk to God about this? And I think God would have confronted Ahab and Jezebel right there in Jezreel in the midst of the storm. But Elijah chose not to engage. And that's very important in our lives. When things start looking not good for us, the choice is never, uh, I think I'm going to back away from this. The choice is always, God, you still here? Okay, let's do this together. Because every time you disengage, you lose. Every time you stand with God, you win. Why? Because it's His power that's with you. So, Elijah's on the run again. Verse 4 says, Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom and a tree. And I think that's really the writer who's writing down uh, Kings, which is probably Samuel or maybe David. We don't really know. But I can assume that he's taking some liberties here to show you the status of how Elijah feels. He goes and sits down under a single tree. Elijah's feeling all alone. He's feeling isolated. You know, that's what the enemy likes to do to us. He likes to get us to withdraw from people, to make us feel like, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one who can solve that and what God is saying. Get back to church! He's saying, get with people who believe right. Find out that your perspective is, you are not alone. You've got brothers and sisters who will stand with you, and if they won't, I will. So Elijah's feeling alone and isolated. Never a good place to put yourself into. And he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. <laughs> Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. <laughs> then he lay down, <laughs> and he slept under that broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat been running he's been running the last thing he thought to do is one talk to God feed himself take care of himself you realize that's really important just because things aren't going right doesn't mean you stop taking care of you do what you need to do get in your Bible get in prayer take care of your body get rest it's amazing how things begin to change when you've done the little things that are important for you as a natural human. You need continual input. 
And so the angel supplied what he needed. He said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and then he laid down again. And then the angel came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. For the journey, or the, or, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. God knows what you have lying ahead of you. And when he tells you, you need to slow down, prep yourself, put things in perspective, listen, or what's ahead will overwhelm you. He has no problem sustaining you supernaturally or sustaining you naturally, but you need to listen in your heart to what you need to be doing right now. Take care of your body. Take care of your mind. Exercise. Eat well. These are important things. You need to take care of yourself. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights. My goodness, give me some of that bread and water. And so he makes it to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, God, God never told him to get on the run. The only thing he did was sustain him. And he gets to where he thinks he needs to be. And God says, why are you here, Elijah? One, Elijah's position was back at the palace. He was supposed to deal with Jezebel and Ahab. But here he is, 40 days and 40 nights away from everybody else, the middle of the desert at a mountain. Maybe the mountain of God, but it's not the position God wanted him in. And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Okay, you hear what Elijah just said? Now, who did we meet already in this story? Come on, who's been listening? Obadiah. And what did Obadiah do? He saved a hundred prophets. Not only does the narrator tell us he did it, Obadiah tells Elijah he did it. And so here Elijah is running, he's standing on the mountain, and he's speaking what even himself knows is not true. Ever been there? Man, I think I've been there a little too often. And when you start to say those things out loud, you get to hear yourself. And you realize, well, that's pretty dumb. That's not true. I've said some really dumb things about God and about what he's willing to do that he's pretty much going like, yeah, you just said the exact opposite of what I am and what I'm willing to do. And so Elijah, in his pit of despair, is again in his isolation, is dead it's just me god and when you think you're gone and you're the only one alone god's already been trying to tell you the whole time you're not alone and he says go out and stand before me on the mountain and the lord said the lord told him and as elijah stood there the lord passed by the and the lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, and it was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, and the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. This is the equivalent of Forrest Gump, it happens. Things happen. Doesn't mean it's God's intention for you. God wasn't in the windstorm. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. And God definitely isn't in or the source of your problem. But he is a solution. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And the voice said to him again, What are you doing here, Elijah? When I think about that part of the story, the thing that comes to mind is, have you been listening to the loud things? The things that flash? and bang, and thunder, instead of the only voice you need to hear. The voice of peace, the voice of love, the voice of quiet. When everything else is booming and banging, and the storm looks like it's going to take you under, he is still speaking. And so he asks Elijah a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I think in a different tone of voice, um, I, they, I've served you, the Lord God Almighty, <laughs> uh, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant. And they've torn down your altars. And they've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know, God completely ignores what Elijah says and says, get up, Elijah, go anoint a new king. I'll take care of the old one. Oh, and by the way, there's a guy named Elisha. Go find him. He's going to be a good prophet too. God completely ignores the, the trial, the struggle, the threats of death, Elijah's isolation feelings, his feeling of aloneness, and tells him what he needs to do. God doesn't always need to direct his attention at your insecurities. He just needs to tell you what the next step to take is. And those take care of themselves. And so he gives them his instructions, and then he ends it with this. Yet, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees haven't bowed to Baal, and the mouth of everyone who has not kissed him. So he reminds them, you thought you were alone, Elijah? Not even close. You thought you were alone, Jordan? Not even close. You thought you were going under? Not even close. You thought God was done doing miracles today? Not even close. You thought God was done providing today? Not even close. You thought God was done healing bodies today? Not even close. You thought God was done opening doors today? Not even close. You thought God was done giving wisdom today? Not even close. You think that God is out of inspiration? Not even close. When you think he's done, he'll show you a new way to do it and people to do it with. 
So, Father, we thank you for divine connections. We thank you for those you're bringing across our paths to link arms with us. We thank you that this situation shall pass and the sound of a mighty rainstorm is on the horizon. We thank you that your rain that you are sending into our lives brings new growth. It brings new opportunities. It brings new faith. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. We thank you that it shall come to pass just as you have said. We thank you for the mission that you have for this church, this word church here in Smith Falls, Ontario. We thank you that our future looks good. We thank you that it looks bright. We thank you that we are a growing, thriving body that you are drawing, Lord, and we are receiving. We thank you for new souls, souls and more souls every day, God. We thank you for people in this region, this region of Canada, turning their hearts to God. And so we thank you for divine connections, bringing them here, drawing them to here, drawing them to us as we go about our days. Father, we thank you that this is not the end. This is just a new beginning. We thank you that there is a mighty storm on the horizon for us. It is coming. It may start as a man's hand, but it ends with a mighty thunder. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And so with great expectation, arise and stand. Stand and arise in the position that you, I have placed you in. Stand on the mountain with me and witness and see the outpouring of my spirit upon all flesh. With great expectation, you, it will draw my presence into your life. Expect the, the good things to happen in your life. Expect provision. Expect miracles. Expect my hand to be more than enough because I am the Lord God Almighty I am more than enough more than able I am that I am that I am saith the Lord
Father, we thank you for new doors of opportunity coming across our path this week. We thank you for new connections, new business clients. We thank you, Father, for your floodgates being open on our behalf because you have poured out your blessing in Jesus. And so we open up our arms with not enough room to receive it. <laughs> and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.